listening to Open Up the Wall, Revelations of a Renovation Contractor. Now, this is what they call a, quote, inspirational memoir. It's about my career change from award-winning actor to the owner of my own construction company. It's definitely a memoir, and throughout the 14 episodes of this podcast, you're going to meet some wonderful characters on both sides of the tool belt. This podcast is an edited version of the 27-chapter book of the same title, and it's available in e-form or hard copy. You can find out more about the book and about me, the author, Jeff Bowes, on my website, www.openupthewall.com. Feel free to leave any questions or comments you may have. I'd love to hear from you. Now, in episode 11... The addition of Discovery, well, it went off without a hitch, not counting the time-consuming IKEA cabinet installation, which I'm sure that many of you can relate to. I had to put in a lot of extra hours to get back on schedule, but it was worth it to keep the clients and the crew happy and stress-free. But for the first time, I felt my age. Not so much my age age, but my construction year age. Chronic aches from years on my knees were catching up to me, and by day's end I was weary. Tired is okay, but weary leaves me less alert, vulnerable to trips and falls, cuts, that sort of thing. This was a safety issue like any other. So it was time to alter my image of myself and factor in my age and my physical limitation if I was going to avoid injury moving forward. Anyway, let's move forward. Episode 12, Missing the Turn. Self-employment is primarily about keeping yourself employed. As I began taking on bigger jobs, I had to worry about keeping other people employed as well. I wanted to keep this excellent group together, so I was always looking for something good, reasonably long-term, and satisfying for all our sakes. But sometimes when your eye is on the prize, you look past the red flags. Ida and I had spoken briefly about her basement apartment ideas. I told her that I'd be happy to look at her drawings and give her a price, and that was the extent of our conversation. I was lazy in following up on it and arranging a time to meet. I just wasn't remotely excited about getting this job. At 6.31 a.m. one autumn morning, I was walking the dog on the beach when my phone rang. It's Ida. Are you licensed, and do you have insurance? Uh, I'm licensed, and I have two million in liability insurance. Okay, good. Now, I'm going to need a new countertop ASAP, so I'll try you out on that. And while you're here, you can look at the plans for my basement apartment. Try me out? Perhaps the clown was an omen after all. Maybe I should be saying, fuck you, you fucking goof. Instead, I let it go, because this was a big job. To have warm, dry, indoor work for me and my friends all winter long was worth putting up with a bossy lady. So I went to her house to look at her design plans, drawn up by a friend who definitely was a fucking goof. This drawing shows your furnace in your bathroom, I said. That's illegal. He wants the furnace beside the shower so it will keep the shower warmer. I think it's a great idea. 
Okay, but if you want this to be a legal basement apartment, the furnace has to be in a room by itself. All right, find another place for the furnace. God! She fanned her face with her hand, fingers apart like those horrible Kardashian women do on TV. There was a bright digital clock on the counter beside her. After 18 minutes of me pointing out omissions in her friend's drawing, she conceded that she should send her plans back to the drawing board before I could even think about giving her a price. So we made an interim plan. Ida insisted on contracting the Silvanos herself to lower the basement. Before the new concrete floor was poured, I would do the layout for all the plumbing fixtures and I would charge only time and material. And then after the new floor was poured, I was to be given new drawings so that I could price the job properly. This was all weird and ass-backward, but at least we were all working. In the meantime, I want that countertop in, said Ida. Just a cheap Formica one until the kitchen gets remodeled. How much do you charge for that? Uh, that'd be the price of the countertop plus three twenty for labor. $320 for labor? Seriously? Well, I can get someone cheaper than that. So get them. It's hardly worth it for me anyway. After three minutes of trying to get the price down, she finally said, Okay, 320 But it better be a good job for that kind of money. That was the turning point. And I missed the turn. When they called to say the countertop was ready, I was making dinner. I botched a simple stir-fry, and I had to watch the family chew through rubbery chicken. Dixie, of course, saw the mood swing. What's going on, she asked. I got a bad feeling. This client is rude, and her reactions, uh, they're just a bit off. So walk away. Yeah, well, I have to do the countertop, and then I'll sort it out with everybody else. Putting in a new countertop and cutting in a new sink is a job that borders on the mundane, I've done it so often. But this time, I fretted my way through the job like a novice, double-checking, double-measuring, somehow feeling that Ida would find some fault with whatever I did. I was able to get the job done and get out before Ida got home from work. On my way home, I was freaked out to see not one but two clowns standing in front of a sign that read, Last Chance Liquidation Sale. The clowns waved frantically at me as I accelerated past them, avoiding eye contact. Oy. After dinner, a text from Ida. Counter is crooked. I replied, Not possible. I will come tomorrow at 8 a.m., okay? Ida, call me immediately. No good was going to come from calling Ida now because I was furious at her terse, nonsensical message. Text, call me immediately. Text, be here tomorrow at 8. I had done a fine job on the counter, so either she was getting ready to stiff me by accusing me of bad work, or there was a mental health issue that I would have to deal with. I prepared for both eventualities late into the night. As I was walking up her stairs the next morning, Ida flung her door open. There were two curlers on her forehead. She stomped ahead of me into the kitchen, crossed her arms, glared at me while I checked out the counter. Just look. You've torqued all the cabinets below the counter. You made them all twist off to the left when you put the counter on. A rage came over me that was frightening. I was furious with myself for ignoring the warning signs and worse, for getting my friends involved. 
<sighs> anyway, I put my two-foot level against the kitchen cabinet. It was perfectly level on all sides. I could barely contain my anger at her ridiculous challenge to my work. But I was sure that she was batshit crazy now, so I realized I had to tread very carefully. I made Ida come over and look at the bubble in the level. Now we both know that everything is level, I said. We both know that there is nothing wrong with the counter, and we both know that you're going to pay me now. Tears filled her eyes and rolled down her cheeks. I'm not crazy. Can't you see? It looks so awful under there by the drawers. Well, your drawer fronts could have come loose, I suggested. Maybe they aren't quite level. That might create the illusion of your torqued cabinet. It was hard to tell if that would have any bearing on her sense of what was level or not. Anyway, I tightened the drawer fronts, raising the top two up just a hair, while Ida paced and told me about the bad tradesmen she had encountered, specifically the flooring company she sued for ruining the hardwood and the window installer she refused to pay because he did a crappy job. I spent half the year in court with those guys, she said to me. I am so out of here, I said to myself. I stood back to see if tightening the drawer fronts had made any difference at all. I couldn't tell. You see, cried Ida, fanning her face with her hand. You see, now it's back to normal. My God, how simple was that? Ida pranced around the kitchen, thanking me in rapid-fire triplicate. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I went straight to the bank and deposited her check, as any sane person would do. And then my phone beeped. A voicemail from a furnace company. Hi, uh, my name's Robert. Um, Ida told me to get in touch with you about setting up a time for a furnace installation. But uh, here's the thing. She is, like, weird to get along with. So I talked to my manager, and he says it's okay if I take a pass on this one. I'm sorry if this, like, screws things up for you. But um, anyway, have a great weekend. Why call me? Was Ida assuming I was going to do her basement apartment without ever showing me decent plans or discussing a price? Well, at least it was the weekend, the two sane days of the week when my family come first, when we catch up on who we are and who the kids are growing up to be. From Friday at 6 p.m. to Monday at 6 a.m., I don't do business. It's a hard rule to keep. I've, I've had to work at it. This Saturday morning, the family was scrunched together in a booth at a pancake place when my phone went off. Text, need to talk plumbing particulars. I put the phone on vibrate and we all ordered breakfast. Buzz, missed call from Ida. We ate breakfast and talked about nail polish and the Grand Canyon. Buzz, missed call from Ida. I ignored it and we all walked to the park. Text, where are you? My family waited for me while I stopped and texted a reply. Unavailable to talk. Text. Need to talk. I suddenly remembered the movie where the crazy lady boils the family's pet rabbit. When we got home, I began drafting my letter of resignation to Ida, even though I didn't technically have a job to resign from. The gist of it was I wasn't comfortable with our working relationship. I was careful not to lay blame on her wacky behavior, saying instead that sometimes there's a difference in communication style that cannot be reconciled. I told her I'd complete the plumbing layout as per our agreement. I also said that I would talk to other contractors about giving her a price. That part was a lie. Text. Can you confirm plumber Chris What's-His-Name will use certified materials? I called Chris. 
Ida wants to know if you use certified materials. What? What does that mean? Exactly. Listen, I'm going to bail on Ida. This whole situation is getting weirder and I can't control it. Whoa, really? I mean, she's flaky. No, she's batshit crazy. She's maybe bipolar or something. And I know that she sues, so I'm not going to price her job. I won't bail on you, though. I'll stay till I place the drains where you want them, and I'll be there till the Sylvanos have poured the new floor. Then I'm done before she thinks up something to sue me for. You really think she would? Totally. Watch your step, pal. Chris had young children. I began to worry that Ida would find a reason not to pay him. Text. Are you there? Text. I must talk to you. Voicemail from Silvano. Hey, it's George. Ida keeps calling me. She wants to know where you are. Is everything okay? I called George back. Nothing's okay, but here's the important part. I'm going to quit this job. Uh, what did she do now? Well, her behavior is getting crazy, and she sues. Every instinct is telling me not to do business with her. She told me about taking a hardwood installer to court, and a window guy is suing her for non-payment. Uh, well, okay then. Better to quit than to be in court. I practically ran to the computer to press send on my letter to Ida. Then I dressed up and went out to a dinner party. Luckily, it was a large dinner party, and few noticed that I was out of sorts and drank too much. On Monday morning, I met George, and we went into Ida's together. This is the type of situation where the contractor does not want to be alone with the crazy lady. They publish names of men who are just even accused of rape. The first thing I told her was that she owed me 1400 for redoing the design layout and the corresponding changes to the plumbing, wiring, and HVAC schematic. Then I told her that the furnace company she had called didn't want to deal with her. Ida kept her eyes on the digital clock. She was squeezing a piece of paper towel, which she suddenly spat on and wiped the clock face. I'm not well, she said. We can talk about this another time. I was out of there in six minutes and 14 seconds. She never paid me, and I never saw her again. My relief at getting away without any trouble was tempered by leaving my friends out of work at a bad time of year. With the indoor job now gone, and the leaves already off the trees, the chance of having to work outdoors in winter loomed large. Cold hands, colder feet, icy necks from sweat, icy thighs from leaning against a ladder, holding your pee for way too long to avoid exposing your dick to sub-zero elements, and the constant sniffing. It all makes for insufferable days on the job. When I say I'm too old for this shit in June, it's a lame joke. But when I say it from a scaffold in February, it's an ugly fact, no matter how old you are. And crews, they're just plain bitchier in winter. Maybe because of the nagging regret in their heads, maybe we should have put up with a crazy lady and done the inside job anyway, because this sucks. We managed to hide our outdoor angst from each other with false cheeriness and forced smiles. I hate being a part of that vibe, so I came up with a plan. If it worked, I could turn things around and get everybody working indoors. Pauline and Walt had called in the fall about turning their unfinished attic space into a studio. We had decided on a start date in the spring when the bare, unheated attic would be neither too hot nor too cold to work in. But now I called them and I explained that I had an opening if they wanted to get going immediately. 
and they agreed without hesitation. Okay, so what a relief. Everybody had a job up to Christmas and beyond. It's all good. The plan was to cut a hole in the second floor hallway ceiling and get stairs up to the attic space. Phil and I were covering the hallway with drop cloths and plastic sheets when I got a call from a network casting office. Jeffrey, you are so hard to track down. We have a part for you. At first I thought it was a joke. With a line like that, who wouldn't? So why are you calling me, I asked. You should call my agent. You kept your agent for all these years? Oh, great. I'll call her. But while I finally have you, let's set up an audition time. Audition? Didn't you just say I have the part? Nobody's seen you in years, so you have to audition. But the director has asked for you specifically. Just me? And a few others. This was the exchange that brought it all back, that almost forgotten fear of not knowing exactly where I stood in a business relationship. I lamented the days already wasted, with my life on hold while I waited and waited and waited, hoping that I would be the one chosen. I chose who to work with now. I'm just starting a new project, I said, so I don't see how this could work out. Thanks for thinking of me, though. And then I went back to work comfortable that the bridge had been burned without animosity or remorse. I had ordered a custom oak staircase from my friend Murray, the one-eyed owner of Custom Wood. Murray had been a woodworker until that fateful day when he couldn't find his safety glasses. With only one eye, his depth perception and therefore his perspective was too compromised to continue as a Finnish carpenter. So he brought together a group of genius woodworkers, started custom wood, and quickly became the go-to guy for custom cabinets, furniture, stairs, and railings. He called with his usual joke. Come and get your stairs. I'll keep an eye out for you. Fourteen heavy oak stairs. From my roster of actors, I hired two tall guys and two short guys to help Phil and me lift them into position. Four of us would hoist the 360-kilogram staircase from the second floor to the two guys on the new third floor, who would screw it into place. I watched in slow motion as we strained to push it the final inch into position. Heave, I shouted, inches to go. Give it all you got. And miraculously, we did it. With back muscles burning, we held it in place until it was screwed into position. Well done, crew, I panted. Let's get out of here. I'm buying. Phil looked askance. It's only one thirty. That's right, I replied, but I can't do any more work today because of the sudden pain in my side way down low, so get these guys to a pub and I'll be along in a few minutes. <sighs> I felt better lying on the floor, but as I slid my hand on the front of my pants, there was this bulge this bump, this hernia. Hernia repair is a surgical procedure and the recovery time is about two weeks. So a hernia can end up being a costly bit of bad luck for the self-employed. Hernias, strains, pulls, tears, cuts, bruises in the trades, these are all occupational hazards. It's an occupational hazard, I said to Dixie. It's, it's not like I did it on purpose. What are we going to do, she said earnestly. You're 60 years old, climbing around on roofs. You're an old man, and you load concrete block. No wonder you have a hernia. Jimmy has one, too, I said. 
All of us have something that hurts, every single one of us. From time to time, it's unavoidable. Unavoidable? What kind of future are you thinking about with an attitude like that? Every time I take out the recycling, there's an empty Tylenol bottle in it. Yeah, because I'm managing pain. It's not big pain, it's just soreness or stiffness that usually comes from repetitive movement. Everybody does it. Look, right now I got a 30-year-old off work with a sprain. It's a physical job, what can I say? What if you really injure yourself and I end up doing things on my own for the next 20 years while you watch from your wheelchair? The love of my life stood looking at me with anxious eyes and that really upset me. By giving no thought of how my work was affecting her, I'd let down my end of our 33-year partnership. I haven't thought about it like that, I said. I didn't know it was on your mind to this degree. I am really sorry. Well, you can take breaks between jobs, can't you? Or do smaller jobs? Hire more young guys? Look, we're not going to starve if you don't work so hard. It's time to think about your future. Okay, I will, I said. I'm going to go right now and book a hernia surgery. Well, it's a start. I had just enough time before going to the hernia clinic to wrap up some day job handyman work for some of my long-standing repeat clients. Simple stuff that they could not do by themselves. But while there's no profit in it for me, I had come to care for these people in their different circumstances. And when I look back on my time as a tradesman, I'm most proud of helping the people who genuinely needed me. When Geraldine's husband left her with two small kids, she called me to make her basement a rentable space so that she could hang on to her house. I admired her pride and her determination, and I was happy to do the work, even throw in some extra hours and a couple of baseboard heaters as well. Whenever she gets a few bucks ahead, she'll call me to do the next thing on her repair list. This time it was to replace the broken porch window with one that she'd found at a yard sale. Ten years ago, I put a deck on Sheila's third-floor walkout. Since then, I've been attending to drafty doors, leaky taps, and things that break because Sheila lives alone, with no handy neighbor or brother with tools to help her out. This time I replaced the screen in her screen door. Arthur is a 76-year-old art dealer with a heart condition. Two or three times a year, I reconfigure his collection and hang the new arrivals on various walls throughout his gallery. Just a bunch of two-hour jobs for really nice people. Hi, honey. How was your day? Great. After taxes, I made two hundred and seventy-seven sixty, and I feel holier than thou. Down at the hernia clinic, Mona began shaving me from waist to knee on my hernia side only. You will have your surgery tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. The following morning at 10 a.m. you will lie on your bed with your pajama bottoms pulled down to your knees until the doctor comes and examines your sutures. If he is satisfied that you are healing properly, the orderly will walk you to reception where you will pay your bill and then you will be discharged. 27 men and one woman were scheduled for surgery the next day. As we sat down to dinner at round tables of six, I could immediately tell the tradesmen in our group. Their hands gave them away. I talked to a lawyer and someone in sales, but for the most part, I talked to masons, pipe fitters, and heavy equipment operators, all herniated in the line of duty. 
It was my first time in a strange setting where I sought out a pair of rough hands as a way of meeting like-minded people. Things were a lot less social by noon the next day, with all of us holding our stitches and shuffling about. It wasn't painful, it was just uncomfortable, but I complained to Mona that I was in great pain, and I complained and I complained until she gave me some stronger stuff, and then I spent the afternoon pleasantly stoned watching a group of busty women in a show about real housewives or something. "'You have a visitor,' said Mona, yanking me out of my chair." I hobbled to the visitor's lounge, and there was Stan. I can't believe you drove all the way out here, I said. That's, that's, that's great to see you. They gave me drugs. We sat with coffee and got caught up. It was pretty forced until we began to open up about getting old in the construction business and how much longer we could go on, but neither of us brought up the two-year hiatus, although Stan came close. Been a while since we did anything together. I wanted to say nothing would make me happier than to be working alongside you and your alpha personality. I've missed our unique camaraderie, but Stan always thought I was too wussy and sentimental, so I just nodded and changed the subject. You want to see my scar? Uh, it's right beside your dick, isn't it? Yeah. Then, no. Call me when you can walk to a bar. (laughs) 